For nearly 20 years, Kevin Rye has been at the centre of a unique network of fans, clubs and decision makers in soccer and other sports. He is the owner of Think Fan Engagement, publisher of the Fan Engagement Index and the Fan Engagement Pod. He's former head of policy and PR at Supporters Direct and Supporters Direct Europe and also teaches on the football business and media undergraduate programme at UCFB Wembley. This is an Alliance podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome back to uh, Build It Podcast uh, with myself, Nick Miles, and John Hall, CEO of DeKalb County United. Hi, John. Hello, Nick. Hi. Joining us this week, um, special guest all the way from England, uh, from London, I believe, Kevin Rye. Hi, Kevin. Gil- actually a place called Guildford outside oh, Guildford. of London. Oh. So um, this isn't going to be an English love, and the reason we've got Kevin on is in his capacity as, what would you, what's it say on your passport as your job title, Kev? Um, I, I own Think Fan Engagement, so I'm an expert in fan engagement. I've also spent a long time working with um, working in, in, in and around supporters' trusts, around fan-owned clubs, around non-fan-owned clubs, advising people how to engage better with fans. You know, lots of what I did was around community for a long time, but it was very often about the rootedness of clubs in communities, really. Um, and then I've sort of narrowed it down to fan engagement specifically about the strategic relationship between fans and clubs rather than the output of um, selling or clicks or whatever it is. So very much, um, very much the sort of the, um, the substance of the relationship, if you want to call it that. Okay. So then I guess the first question is, um, what is fan engagement to you? What is it to me? Well, it's about, as kind of said there, it's about the, um, it's about the stuff that, uh, uh, that you, the, the foundations of the relationship it's about what you know when you um, uh, when when people talk about fun engagement, it tends to be about the clicks and the likes, especially these days with social um, or you know the selling of something or what have you. Actually, bring fun engagement, and that's what the fun engagement index, which is my major project, um, is about. Bring it back to what um, the foundations are. What um, is it that attracts people to the club? Why do they support it? Um, uh, how how is it expressed how is it maintained how is it underpinned so getting people to understand that the reason that sometimes the bad things happen the reason say everton fans yesterday although I, you know i'm not so that was in this country it was to do with on the pitch performance but a concern that there might be some problems going on behind the scenes or if you care to look a bit further down oldham athletic having terrible problems and their fans, all of their fan organisations are organising a boycott of, of, of the next home match. You know, when you see those things going on, it's because there's something not right in the relationship. And that relationship is deep. Um, and you can, you, can, you can trace back a lot of the problems that happen at clubs when fans are dissatisfied, disgruntled, angry, to the, the, the failure to maintain that relationship. Because in the end... A friend of mine in the industry, Ryan McKnight, has, says, has said plenty of times, 
that's the longest relationship you will ever have in your life, quite probably. Um, way way beyond your, your marriage or your partnership or way beyond the relationship you have with your kids. You'll be going to that place very often from when you were born to when you die. So it's important to get it right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I got to, I got to, let me jump in there, Nick. Like, like, you know, obviously um, my club struggled a bit on the field uh, in our last season. So I know that the results on the pitch can certainly be a factor, but what are the things as far as uh, communication breakdowns, those relationship things, what are the things that cause the, you know, the friction to the point where supporters groups want to boycott? It's, I mean, quite simply, um, if you look, uh, let me do it through examples. It's often how the, it's best demonstrated. If you look at, again, in the UK, in English football specifically, if you look at a club like Norwich City, where they've gone up and down, up and down between the second tier and the first tier, between the Championship and the Premier League over the last five to ten years, possibly longer, but certainly between the last five to ten years. Um, there's a reason why when they get relegated, there really isn't, um, you know, there really isn't a demonstration. There's no real anger about it. Um, frustration, yeah. Disagreement with some tactical decisions, possibly, but really not much. And the reason for it is that although even though the club is privately owned, Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones, um, the major shareholders and the rest of the board and everyone else involved, the executives, the people executing the strategy, etc., they realise, they understand innately that there is a group of people who need to be communicated with regularly and properly about the issues that um, are going on within the club. Um, notwithstanding that there are some issues that don't get talked about in English football, actually the case, that isn't the case in American uh, soccer in American football, as in we're talking about soccer, obviously. I don't, I don't know particularly using the word soccer, sorry. <laughs> in football over in the States, you know, you do publish wage bills, for example, uh, wages for players, for example, in the in the in the professional game. Over here, we don't. But notwithstanding that, most things can be talked about. So they talk about most things. They don't have a problem with it. They're open. What they do is, is that they view transparency as a value that's integrated into the business. And so when, you know, when businesses talk about transparency, especially I think in, in the Anglo-Saxon economy, right? So in the States, in the UK, in, in countries like that, they have a tendency to use it as window dressing, as saying, saying it because it meets a need at that moment. And it and that and that unfortunately ends up in English in football in England as well. So people talk about it as though it's something that hey we're transparent. Well, you're not really, are you? You you've, you buried that um, financial loss, or you know we didn't find that out until or you know the European Super League, right? Transparency, my my, you know that's not transparency. Mm-hmm. You decided that a strategic decision of the business wasn't for the consumption of fans. Yet you expect them to turn up if you enter that Super League and it betrays the, the competitive principles of English and European football and South America football and most versions of football. And I'd like to think, I'd, in fact, scrub that, I wouldn't like to think, I know that if Norwich City went into that, were, were invited into that process, probably the first thing they do is go, we're not interested. Second thing, even if they were considering the idea of doing it, they'd go, well, we're going to have to talk with our supporters' trust because we have to mm-hmm. and we can't just announce this that's not how it works so that's it you know your values are woven in or they're not and the problem with english football particularly and i, I talk specifically about that but i've worked in european football is 
is that is that you get people in charge, unfortunately, who have this idea that there are decisions reserved for them because they own and control it or because they run it. Yeah. And and unfortunately as well, what you often find is that there are still plenty of people running football clubs who think it's sort of their job, uh, I think, to protect the owner, uh, to stop them you know, getting too much hassle. The owners want it that way sometimes. Fortunately, it's not where the game is headed over here, but that's where you get the real problems. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sad and totally avoidable. And I'm sure no one listening to this now could draw parallels between an individual English club and the overarching US system, right, John? I'm, not, I'm sure you're not thinking about the MLS and Mr. Garber and everything else right now as directly parallel. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think it's it's core, isn't it? It's just, it's talk, 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 and don't hide. Um, one of the reasons... Uh, yeah. 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 What, one of the reasons we started this and one of the instigators behind this was um, there's a club in up in New York State called... Um, Stockade FC, started by the guy who started up um, Foursquare. And he published um, basically a whole inv- a whole um, accounting for the year. I think it was, it doesn't matter, let's say it was 2016. Um, and that got American soccer talking because so many people here are sign a com- starting a club in their community, which is great, but don't want to give away the trade secrets because, you know, oh, we're a rival of this club that's <laughs> 200 miles down the, down the road. John and I's ethos is is exactly the opposite. Is that we're we're stronger if there are five clubs between us and that rival two hundred miles down the road. Worse still, worse still, right? The fact is, is there are no bloody secrets anyway. This happens. This is this is the foundation. This is one of the very foundational problems of English football, and probably of football all over the place. But you know, again, the very direct experience. Um, it's just the biggest myth in the world. That what's going on on the, off the pitch is is going to be somehow it, by talking about it too much, you're giving away a competitive advantage. It's absolute rubbish. And you know, when you look at, I think I, I, I do sometimes wonder whether actually the what's going on on the pitch um, over here is really that plus the the activism that I was involved in for so long and and some of the things that we did and the changes to ownership that came about because of the work we people like me and and my colleagues did and, and did with the activists is that the, the the openness of coaching methods and changing the way that players are treated and all that that plus the, the activism and the work we did is making is forcing football not to be like that anymore it because you can't when you've got when you've got all of your coaches going you know sharing learning sharing the way that you do you know you compete and, and your methods and your little tricks. And you've got activists saying in the boardroom, you know, people moving into the boardroom from activism and being affected by the culture of activism and change and questioning, saying, why do we have to hide this? What's, what's, what's the advantage in, in not disclosing how much tea that we sell every month, every match, or, or, or what our purchasing policies? I mean, in the end, are you, is anyone seriously telling me that that's going to create competitive advantage? What that is, I believe, I, you know, I think that's probably a hangover of the way that the business owners of football clubs acted in their businesses and that they were often, you know, very successful, but be honest, quite small minded in their own way, men. 
who were stuck in a way of doing things, who thought that they always had the answer, who opposed, and uh, you know, call me a progressive, you know, I'm not quite as easy to box as that, but, you know, who opposed the idea of people organising and being opposed to their view on something and would say, I own the company, do what you're damn well told. And I think that kind of affected it and it can't not affect it. And the era that we're moving into and we live in now is one of openness and of questioning. And, you know, and I think the just rubbish It's just the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever heard. And if anyone tries to ever convince me of it, they can't. It's impossible to. There's we, what you're doing still... is, a, is a natural state. It's the cooperation is the natural state. Yeah, we want to be successful individuals in our own ways. But cooperation is a natural state for humans. So sure. carry on cooperating. It's the best way to do it. We struggle even to get gates, honestly, attendance figures. Everything outside yeah. of MLS is, just, is ridiculous. In our it, league... It's published over... I mean, everything's naturally published in, in English football. That's one thing that's always been published. Yeah. Um, you know, for years. And, mo you know, in, I think the Scottish seniors do, uh, for example, the Scottish senior pyramid down to down to league two in scotland does mm -hmm. um but the idea that you wouldn't publish your gate is dumb why wouldn't you publish your gate what's the problem what 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 serious advantage are you getting what because someone's going to work out after that how much 700 people is in dollars it's crap it's mm -hmm. rubbish yeah. it's just do you know what also happens is, is people are lazy so i i would warrant that a good percentage of people saying we're not sharing that competitive advantage it's more because they're disorganized behind the scenes. They haven't worked out a process yet. <laughs> Absolutely. Truthfully, Absolutely. people are making up as they go along all over the world. We're all doing it. Yeah. None of us have got this sus. So, so one of the things, um, one of the things I picked up on from some reading through some of your material on the website and different things, uh, as Nick and Nick is constantly challenging me to be, um, just a more generally aware leader of our club. Um, three things, dialogue, governance, and transparency. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about those just a little bit and what that yeah. means as it relates to the whole fan engagement process? Yeah, so the fan engagement index measures those three parts. Basically, dialogue is the, the process of, um, of the conversation, the listening that goes on. And a lot of it is about listening on the part of the club instead of talking, which they do very well. Um, governance is what underpins that. And the transparency is what tells you all that's happening, right? And those three things, essentially, I mean, really, what I do is is steeped in public relate modern public relations theory, right? Everyone talks about public relations like they know what this, like they know what it means. Public relations isn't about getting publicity about something. Public relations really is about the relationships that that go on between an institution and the people who care about it, right? Or have an investment uh, that either emotionally or financially or whatever it is, right? So what I do is I take that and transpose it to fan engagement and say fan engagement is merely a subset of stakeholder engagement. It is. That's it. it is. Just is. Right. Whether or not you have a, 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 um, a set of um, output um, um, that you call engagement and it's about clicks. That's just the expression of engagement in one form. Right. It's very simple. The reason that I chose the methods within dialogue, within governance, within transparency was because football told me that was what was important. So over the years, the, the types of dialogue, the fans' parliament, the relationship with the supporters' trust, right from just meeting them formally to, to, to underpinned formal ownership, all that kind of stuff. Um, those were things that they said were, were either important or 
uh, were factors in the relationship, right, and the management of it. And it and and a lot of it was also um, finally kind of underscored by um, another one of the reviews of English football. Um, in this case, it was the um, the culture, media, and sports. DCMS as uh, government department. Um, uh, it was the fan. Um, what was it? I can't remember what it was. There's so many of the, of the damn things. But um, it was where the government convened a conversation between the leagues, the FA, and um, fans, fan representatives, right? And my organisation supporters direct. My old organisation supporters direct was involved in that. And um, so they then they it very helpfully said these are the important things right, in the relationship. And so I went, great. And then there were some other things, the support of the liaison officer, the um, uh, the customer charter, which is, you know, a much underwhelming, very underwhelming usually, but potentially very important document, um, which every club in the top four divisions has to have. But surprise, surprise, some don't even publish it. And they make, you know, they say things about, oh, we incorporate into everything else. It's just, you know, it's it's not being held to account. And then, you know, the idea that actually, if you're going to have a process of dialogue underpinned by governance that no one knows about, well, then you're not transparent. So um, publishing information, um, you know, helps the process, feeds back in. It's a loop. So those, that's the reason, really. Basically, football told me it was important. So I went, well, fine, I'm going to measure it. <laughs> I'm going to hold a mirror up to you. And then I'm going to tell you, uh, well, you'll be able to see what's there. I'm going to score it and I'm not, you know, I don't disclose the specific algorithm, but it's not, it's not brain surgery. So, You're not transparent. Uh, I'm untransparent, <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, in that sense, my aim was to try to monetize that area of my business. The issue is more now that I'm, I, I need to make a decision as to whether or not I do disclose that. It's more just because, um, I mean, in, in all honesty, it's waiting a, it's awaiting a decision and um, I don't think it really matters too much as to whether or not people think the index is important and useful. And it, and it, and it overwhelmingly has been kind of incorporated into the thinking of probably most, certainly a very large number of football clubs in the country now. Mm -hmm. And it's seen as the gold standard. So it's clearly worked because it said something that people needed to have said. So that's the, you know, that's the, yeah. Super, super simplistically. Is it a questionnaire of fans? Very true. No, I don't ask fans. I don't ask oh. clubs. I don't ask anyone. I go out there and I... Also, it's just your um, arbitrary opinion. No, I take information that's out there on the internet, um, on club websites, because that's where you find stuff these days, um, uh, which should be published, because if they're having these relationships and they're that important, why aren't they telling anyone about, anything, about it? I kind of mirror the journey of a fan trying to find out about it, basically. I show show that you know i can't find it so if i'm a fan what the hell is going to happen to me i if I, you know i know where this stuff can be found if i dig fast dig hard enough um so it's all publicly available information you know you could literally do this yourself if you wanted to but to be quite honest with you i think um you know i'd be pretty annoyed if someone came along and tried to compete with me and secondly no one else really has my background and credibility in it but also it's a real pain in the bum to do it's a pain in the ass it's a lot of work. Um, so it's 92, no, it's 92 clubs. So I don't, you know, look, fans, we, you know, I, I generally know what fan, I know what fans generally think about this stuff. And I certainly know what they think when they're not engaged with. Mm -hmm. um, I know what clubs, you know, I knew the issues I would have in trying to find this information from clubs. If I went and approached them, it would be, who are you? 
why do you want this um and i would have problems because that's i'm afraid how it is what what the whole purpose of this was was taking if you like the tools of disruption that were that, that were created by the supporters trust movement in england and and, and scotland and across europe uh, a positive disrupt disruption i might say and saying I'm going to disrupt this field because I think it needs throwing up in the air a bit. And I think we all need to have a proper conversation about it. So, um, you know, it wasn't the phrase I used when I started it, but that's really what it was. It was a positive disruptor. And as I say, it's proven to be, you know, it's proven to be that. And um, it's, it's, I'm never, I never have a problem with anyone asking me a question about it or saying, well, you know, where do you get this information? Well, you know, if people want to know whether this is, whether this stands up or whether, this is fair. Go and look at the scores for a, a certain club um, in in the South Midlands, which I've got no reason to like at all. Um, and, uh, you know, you can go and look it up, look at my background and you'll see which club I mean. Um, they did well in the first year and they've not done badly in the second. And the reason for that is because I'm fair in how I score, because even if, um, you know, that club in Milton Keynes, that I'm bound to not particularly like, if they score well out of it, then I'm being fair. And I am fair because mm -hmm. I should be fair to them. It wouldn't be fair. And I would be totally unprofessional if I treated them any differently from any other club because they're, the, they're a club in the top four divisions. They deserve sure. to be treated in exactly the same way in this process as any other. So there, you know, there's your, is it fair? Yes, of course it is. Absolutely. So then if, if, the, if the premise is fan engagement, um, mm. It seems like you're talking more to clubs than to not talking in as much as having a dialogue with, but talking about clubs. Yeah, I don't need to talk. I mean, look, the, the, the fans have 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 advocates. I'm an advocate for them anyway. Um, that's built into my model. You know, I, I believe that activism is important. I believe sometimes, unfortunately, as you see in my Twitter feed today on Think Fan Engagement, um, um, uh, it's called it's, it's at fanning at think at think engagement. But you'll see that I support, I've supported Oldham's, fan, Oldham's fans and saying, look, because I know that what it takes to make a fan not want to go to their games and not just that, but to actively boycott and call for other people to do it. So I am very much an advocate for fans, but I'm also very much an advocate for clubs because I think they have a difficult job. I, you know, everything I say is not, that doesn't then mean I can't be fair to clubs and even handed. I speak with chief executives and various people in football clubs all the time. Mm -hmm. The important thing for me is that I act is, you know, I always felt I was the more the more I, time I spent in football, the more time I felt I was like a bridge or like someone who spoke two different dialects and I could translate and I could bring them together in a room and talk. They could talk together, mm -hmm. you know, metaphorically or literally into a room. So, um, you know, it's not actually the reason I don't go to club, although I now these days I send the data sets to clubs and, and ask them to comment on it. I don't ask them to, 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 to do anything. I just ask them to comment on it. Beyond that, I, the reason I don't ask them for information directly to, in order to complete the index is because it prejudices it. It immediately makes it something that I'm relying on them for. Um, and, um, and, and in the eyes of fans, that would delegitimize it. In the eyes of the whole, you know, the whole process is, is it's meant to be you know slightly detached um and it's meant to be you know people are meant to be able to say to me so how did milton Keynes do well i go well they did that well because that's what i found on them and i did send the data to the club so they could have commented if they'd wanted to and likewise afc wimbledon you know they lost points in the this year's the, the, the last index because there were things they weren't doing as well you know it really is 
meant to be saying to fans, look, there's your measures. There's what's good and what's bad. You can have an opinion if you want, but I'm telling you what's happening. Um, and to clubs, here's how you can improve. Because actually, in the end, it's not about beating people over the head with a stick. It's about saying, look, you, you haven't finished well. Here's how you can improve. Or you finish well. Here's how you can keep that up. And Oldham finishing well over the last two years is, a, is also an indicator that sometimes there's box, box ticking underway. And that's also a problem. Yeah. John, anything? So, yeah, I mean, a, a thousand things, of course. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the things, you know, to take, uh, I get, I get where the index comes from a little bit. I mean, it makes sense what you're doing. Uh, you know, if you, a lot of our listeners are like us, very grassroots, um, yeah. low attendances, volunteer run. Many of us are nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to, you know, one of the things I think that we, we struggle with is we've got fans that support because they know us, but I mean, they might buy season tickets, but we know they don't come to a match. Um, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you balance the, we don't, I, again, you, this is a different culture where this isn't the sport of choice. It's actually, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's on the list. It's, it's absolutely the thing that, you know, 20 people die for yeah but you've got this greater community that i'm not going to say they don't want the fan engagement but it's just a different type of so how Uh, how should i yeah yeah. how should i approach both different groups yeah well look i mean over here you know most clubs are no profits rather than non-profits so you know (laughs) profit is not a great um motivator for for running a lot of football clubs but when it comes to look, the principles really of what I do and, and the approach I have to fan engagement is the same when it comes to the community, right? I separate the two very deliberately because community engagement and those and fan engagement become conflated, and sometimes and and usually it's fan engagement that suffers. So I separate them very intentionally because um, there is overlap, but you need separate strategies for both. When it comes to communities, you know people will subscribe to stuff. Uh, pay for things and 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 just never really think about it you know I have a trade union membership for example and I've only thought about it recently because I've moved into academia and and I need I need to I need to have a different trade union membership but otherwise I was a member of the National Union of Journalists for god knows how long four years or something because it fitted my profession and I thought that was a useful thing to have didn't think about it never read anything I you know I would approach them if I needed them as I have done in the past, that can be a part of the relationship is I like them being there. I don't need them. I don't want to be involved all the time. People still buy season tickets for Wimbledon, um, AFC Wimbledon, but they don't go. I think that's probably happening less, but that happened a lot at the start when we reformed and we were, you know, essentially right at the bottom of the English senior pyramid. And we really were born out of our communities, if you like, you know, the, the communities sustained us over the years before um so i wouldn't worry too much um i think I, I get you know a lot of a lot you know i spent a lot of time despite the fact that a lot of my work is in professional football i did spend a lot of time with clubs that were much smaller the enfield towns of this world they're a great club um they wouldn't ne- you know Merthyr Merthyr town they would not claim to be um to be that much different from yourselves you know, it's just the fact that we have a massive senior pyramid of football where technically they could reach the Premier League if they were well-funded enough, for example, you know, or they could grow enough. Um, so really, you know, it, you, I think you should take comfort. Don't 
take concern, take comfort from the fact that those people want that, that they're prepared to 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 do something like that and never <laughs> never actually use it. You know, also, I think just saying thank you a lot of the time is what really matters. And 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 you know, just just popping a note over and saying, look, I really appreciate what you've done for the last two years because you funded us, you've you've made it made us able to do all these things, and you don't really take much back for it. And and I think that's wonderful. <laughs> I don't think that's something you should worry about. Um, you know, I think it would be nice to get more in there, but you're also you're five years old. What are you expecting? Um, you know, the stickiness of the relationship will build over time and that will transfer to other people through those through those people. It, there's a joy that you have to have sometimes, which I know I'm sure you have because you wouldn't do it solely for, for you know, if it was just drudgery all the time. And if it is, walk away and take a break. And I've and I've persuaded people to do that in the past some organisations from supporters trust because sometimes it's important. But most of it, you'll find this joy sometimes and, and that's what you hold on to. Because what you're doing is much more akin to the kind of community activism that you've seen across all sorts of different places that might have more to do with the more the more generalised social movements and things for the for over the years. But because it's football, because there's a competitive element to it, you've got that worry of the business side of it and the competitive side. But yeah, you know, there are clubs out there that have nailed this better than others. And I like, you know, Enfield Town I've touched on. I think a club like that, you know, who have got a, a, a glorious history in non-league football, but they understand the the segue and where things become much more about what they're doing in the community and much more about the project and what they do. So, you know, kind of moving away a little bit for the focus away a little bit from the elite athletes on the pitch, the elite players on the pitch. And you can't completely remove that, but actually... Norwich City, if you like, have kind of managed that in a way because they've gone, we're much more than simply that and we can't convince you just by saying we are. We have to live it all the time. Yeah, it all hits home. It, it, it all makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, it does when you're sitting here. <laughs> well, right, but I, and I think that's when Nick and I have conversations, you know, about what we're doing and strategy and things. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we're always trying to strike the balance and figure out you know how you know i'd like to talk to every supporter every day if i had the time um and i think that's just it is part of our you know youth in that we're you know four or five years old and trying to figure out and how to establish um ourselves as an important piece of the community that people recognize as yeah i don't like the sport but these people are doing good things so i'm yeah. going to support them and yes as i say daily there's no replacement for boots on the ground you have to be out and networking and talking and all those things so yeah uh, yeah i think i think it's all it all makes sense yeah and that's the you know this isn't it's not rocket science in a sense it's more complicated in one in one one sense because it involves people and if you're and if you and if you're not in it and you and you're not you don't sort of have the skill set if you like and you can't get your head around this. It, it is infuriating. I mean, it's infuriating anyway when you're in it sometimes. But but actually, if what you are is a, you know, to put it fatuously, a people person, and you're someone who, yeah, gets annoyed, but actually is is 
you know there's a joy there's a, a joy or an interest in people and how they think and why they're there and what they you know then you will find it easier you need points of reflection it's so important and you need to get away you need to you know go on a long walk or go and play go for a run or go and play a sport you love or do something else or watch a film and get yourself detached sometimes just to reflect but if you're if you're someone who loves you know who, who, who takes derives pleasure from working with individuals and groups and whatever and, and shaping them and mentoring what then you know you'll find the answers start small think big ain't no other better way to live if you think big start small you ain't gotta have a lot to have it all slow it down take your time because the sun shines on us all start small and think big y'all Kevin, I, I'm curious um, from a perspective of um, I'm building a club in the United States and I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I'm hearing about fan engagement on the wonderful Build It podcast. And I want to put a strategy together. What would you what would kind of be the first steps if you were starting out to start working your way to a, a good score in the index, theoretically? Right. I mean, to be honest, I just I just default to the, the standard sort of public relations strategy template, if I'm honest. Um, SWATs, PESLs, um, you know, laying out your aims and objectives. Why are you here? What are you doing this for? Um, do you need it? Um, the answer is probably yes. Um, sifting, making the thing for the key thing is, is to make strategy something that you do all the time. Right. It doesn't need to end on the sh- end up on the shelf. The worst strategies sound really interesting. And then when you actually look at what's going on, you go, you're not you're not delivering this, are you? Um, I tend to write strategies and they and they're in my head. And what they do is they help sort things out a bit. And um, that's especially important if you're a volunteer or there's a few of you. Right. And you can't have a strategic head and a strategic this and a delivery that and an output that you have to, you know, you have to wear every hat there is. So, you know, a good old fashioned public relations template, you know, identifying your audiences, your stakeholders, your publics, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, I suppose really stakeholders, is what we should be saying, but in terms of public relations theory and, and, um, and strategy. And, um, you know, the key really for me behind it all is to is to realize that and there's probably a little bit of um, snobbery in my profession going on here is. Look, if you're marketing or you're selling or whatever, that's great, but that's not fan engagement at its heart. Because marketing to someone is a process of essentially getting to buy something or subscribe to something, right? You can't apply those principles to a relationship. I don't market to you if you're my other half. I don't market to you if you're my friend. Yeah, someone who does, someone can probably just about jumble that, you know, um, they could probably come up with a lexicon that does make it sound a bit like that. But look, it's not, it's not marketing. It is a relationship. I have a relationship, right? If I went out and started trying to market to my son, he'd stand there 10 years old and go, I don't understand what you're talking about, daddy. Um, what time do you want me to go to bed? You know, when's my homework? Do you love me or not? Well, you see, my positioning tells you. No, it's the relationship. So, it always it's always in the end about humanizing everything and trying to get people to understand you're dealing with humans i was watching 
um, I was watching the, the 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 early stages of Joe Biden and um, Vladimir Putin's meeting today. Just just the opening gambit from Russian TV. So even something they couldn't, something they couldn't even spin. And I was watching Biden, you know, uh, grandfather of the nation, um, and then I was looking at Putin, shifty feet moving around under the desk. Big smile on his face, you know, former Secret Service op op uh, operative in, in, in East Berlin, in East Germany, thinking this is a relationship between two people. Yes, of course, it's two countries, but it really does boil down to that. And it's only the, the layers over the top that complicate it, the theory that complicates it. The, yes, of course, the geopolitics. I'm not suggesting that they can get in a room and resolve it because we all know that didn't work with your last president. He really couldn't get in a room and resolve everything, despite what he thought. So, you know, it, it, if you apply this logic, the point is that you're dealing with people. And yeah, there are some very unreasonable people out there, but there aren't many. There aren't as many as people think. And especially important in the era of social media that we're in, you know, whether well, it's the eight, it's this is it. And this technology completely fails. We're in. That's that's us. Um, that you can assume that you know what people mean or that someone's being horrible and rude. But actually, when you sit and you sit and spend time with them like this, or hopefully in face-to-face -face when you're running community clubs like yours, you, you, the relationship changes, things warm, or you detect the cold more quickly, you know, the, the freezing of relationships and things. So, you know, the strategy is really important because it allows you time to think. It affords you analysis that you really need. But in the end, you can't sit there from a template and manage the fact that someone's angry with you. You can't chart that. What you have to do is be out there. One of my favourite people, um, and God knows his head must have swollen so much by now. I, I very much doubt it, I might add, because I don't think he's that bothered about what I think. But there's a guy called Carl Fitzpatrick, who, who's the chief executive of a rugby league club out, out over here in Warrington, Warrington Wolves. In attendance terms, one of the biggest, and they managed to maintain their their attendances over a long time. Um, and um, he's very interested for lots of other reasons, and the way that I suggest you listen to the podcast um, because of the way that he markets the sport as well, because it's a segue between the traditions of rugby league and um, and US sports, really, because it's a minority sport in the UK. But um, he. He, he got out there when he started. He got out there and he started just started listening. He said, I'll be here every week, every home match. I'll be here. Um, I think it might have been the statue of one of their most famous players. And um, and he did. And he absorbed everything. And he listened to everyone. And he tried to, he, he didn't say, I'm going to solve all your problems. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be brilliant. You're going to love me. Um, you know, you're going to love the club um, all the time because of it. He just listened. and it And it did so much. You know, it created space. You know, it meant it meant then that when you marketed, people eventually understood that there was a, a, a an authenticity that meant something. It wasn't just a word. It meant that when <clears throat> he sat and met with fans who for years were fed up with the way things had been and, you know, they didn't feel the club was listening to them. But when he said he was listening, they had they knew he was listening. You know, um, and 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 I and it would have affected every pair, every area of the business, um, and that that really is, for me, that you know, someone like Carl is an example of 
how you make strategy a thing that works in a human sense because we all have strategies for doing everything in our brains and the way we you know every everything is based kind of on a strategy or on a, you know you might call it a strategy but in the end we we we're, we're existing in a in a world of human beings that need those relationships satisfied and we need to be heard and we need to be listened i spent a lot of time working with kids and i've spent a lot of time working in care work and i think that probably is what really created my approach to all of this is people just want to be listened to and they want to be you know yeah it's just human isn't it really <laughs> it's it's funny because um one of my professional mentors uh you know we do uh, work in construction we deal with contracts a lot and he always says it doesn't matter what's on the contract if you don't trust the guy that's signing the other side of it it doesn't really matter you yeah it, it's 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 all about as you said the human yeah. part of it yeah. and trust and and mutual um you know problem solving and, and a good faith effort to accomplish a goal whether it's building a building or a sponsor coming into the club and having a relationship yeah. with you um yeah. it all comes back to that so um, emotion, I, I think quick, john i was gonna add one thing i think it really really is really important is emotional awareness you know that 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 if you god knows if you i i can sometimes picture my my other half sat sat next to me while i'm saying this stuff and she'd be laughing she'd be doubled over in laughter um but in my personal life i'll be completely honest with you i screw up all the time but i always try to apologize when i do and i suppose in a sense that that for me would be you know take transpose that onto your business life yeah look if you're building a building and it collapses an apology is not going to cut it but you know if if along the way you're trying to find your way through to the solution of a problem um you know and you buy the wrong brick and it's a mistake that was 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 avoidable but it was a mistake and you show your contrite and you put place put in place something to mitigate that in the future people appreciate that if you keep doing it depends on what the relationship's like you might have a fault in your process but people are going to understand and it is i mean it is so much about being emotionally aware and being being able to do not not about being nimble and and how to avoid being blamed it's going, I cocked up, I'm really sorry. I worked for someone who made, you know, I sometimes think he doesn't realise the impression he made on me. I don't really see him anymore. He's a guy called Phil French. And he was a he was a senior advisor in the Labour Party over here in, 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 in English in UK politics. He he before he came to us, um, he helped to um, create or oversee the inquiry that that created supporters direct. Um, he then worked for the uh, for the Premier League for Richard Scudamore, who was, you know, who was the chief executive, who was his kind of right hand man, really. And um, then he went off and worked for the IOC um, and now works as their director of policy. So, you know, really big role. And then and now he works some some kind of consulting area. But he kind of basically taught me one thing, which is um, and I think this is really important as well, is if you screwed up and you could have avoided it and there were things you could have done then you're an idiot and you and you shouldn't you 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 know you kind of have got no one to blame but yourself if you have got if there are moments there that are clear and you could have avoided it you need to take responsibility for that and that's your fault and you need to work out how you don't do that again but if you screwed up and it's something you can learn from you know that's something different but the key for me was was creating a kind of 
to some degree a sort of almost iron discipline about those things that I try and I think everyone in leadership positions voluntary or otherwise it just need to be look if if you're struggling tell someone if it's a difficult thing that you're trying to do and you and you think you're not going to do it you think you're not going to manage it be honest don't bury yourself under layers of nonsense trying to excuse the fact that you screwed up so you know your emotional your emotional awareness comes to you know it does come to understand that people are frail and difficult understand your understanding has got to be that you are also frail and difficult sometimes yourself and you're going to struggle that's where the clubs that do it well when you will take it actually back to the subject of this podcast rather than some kind of freudian analysis is that this is this stuff is why this is where good clubs do it is that they is that is that they've got people in there who are emotionally intelligent they listen they do it because they know it's the right thing to do and not just because it's a set of business objectives kevin i think we could chat for uh 12 hours at least do not let him have your phone number do not let him have your phone number. i'd love to do it again you know i as you can probably tell i love talking but it's an area that is just fascinating it's it's so much of it is bound up with human psychology and so you know patterns of human behavior and but also just the you know at the front end it's being it's being human i've got there's so many things in my life that have made me like i am and and inform the way i approach it um and not least just that people people find life difficult and you must try to remember that <laughs> it's a tough world sometimes but it's also a very joyful one so I think that's unless you've got more time, Kevin. I think that's a lovely place to leave it for now. Yeah, I appreciate I will, that your son, your yeah. son is currently clawing at the door. So yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Very Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Kevin. Yeah. It's that's hugely right. appreciated. Um, if people want to reach out and just find out more about you, what's the Twitter handle? What's the Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Think, think, uh, think engagement on Twitter. Um, Facebook, think fan engagement. But everything is and LinkedIn. We're on um, on there. Think fan engagement. Same as Instagram, I think is Think Engagement. If you want to find everything, it's all on fanengagement.net anyway. Um, and you can dig in and have a look, register, and you can get more information on um, than, 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 than just the publicly available stuff on the Fan Engagement Index. And yeah, that's, you know, hopefully um, the, the next Fan Engagement Index is going to be out. Well, not hopefully, it's going to be out early next year. Lovely. Well, we're going to look forward to that. I'm going to be hunting down Tranmere. I know they do some things well and some things terribly. But... Um, <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you for your time, Kevin. Um, been a pleasure. And yeah, I couldn't show you when we connect. Now the time has come for leaving. Fear, now we shall return. We were so glad we could make it, but so sad we gotta run. Well, it might be a long time till we raise another glass. You can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah, we'll have ourselves a laugh. Hooray.